0: Return, O virgin daughter of Israel, to these your highways by which you went. Welcome to Reunion Roadmap, a place to discover the people and communities along the highway of restoration for Israel's House of Joseph. Reunion Roadmap is a B'nai Yosef North America production. Be our guest for the next hour as we meet the people of the emerging House of Joseph here in North America.
1: We are so glad you have joined us once again on the Reunion Roadmap. This is Al McCarn. Along with me is Stefania Pappas. We are starting off once again with an interview, in fact, the second portion of our interview with officials from the Ebenezer home. Stefania, you want to tell us about who we're talking to?
0: Yeah. Uh, in the first part, you heard Johnny Curie, the manager of the And now David Phillips, you'll be listening to, who is assisting with raising the funds for the construction project there. He's the project manager. And you'll hear a volunteer, which is Samantha Lagoy.
1: Now, this is a fascinating work that they've been doing for 40 years now. I think 1977 was their first year. The only retirement home for elderly followers of Yeshua in Israel. And when we ended the first part of the interview, David was telling us about the nursing home project, uh, the different steps they have to go through, of course, raising funds. Uh, He's going to pick that up in this second half of the interview, telling us about the progress that's been made with the bureaucratic side, getting the permits and uh, so on from the city and making sure they can uh, meet the national health standards. This is a big deal. It's a complicated deal. No wonder they are seeking international cooperation. Definitely. And then we'll talk with Samantha. And Samantha LaGoy was there for two years, and I found her testimony of what happened, the, the people she touched, how she was touched by them. I found that to be very encouraging, very touching, Stefania. It's awesome what the spirit of the living God will do when people will reach out in love.
0: It, it, it's interesting, and, you know, Scripture talks about the different gifts that are out there, and one of them is the gift of helps, and uh, Samantha just fits the bill right there. I mean, that is a gift that really she really has, and if you just know a little bit about her and, and the different people that she has assisted that are elderly, uh, you'll say, wow, okay, now, now I see what's going on there. There's a real gift of help, sir.
1: Yes, and it's readily apparent in what she has shared with her time at the Ebenezer home. So let's go on back to Haifa, Israel. Let's pick up our interview with uh, David Phillips, Samantha Lagoy, and Johnny Curry.
2: Our goal is to collect $7 million in seven years. If I'm looking at the numbers, At the bank, we have about 1.2 million dollars, but we have promises of the Dutch Business Forum that they will collect a million euros, which is like 1.12 million dollars. They already have done a great job, and it's still in process. We have in Switzerland many people that are supporting us, including a very Israel-loving congregation, and they said, well, we think we will be able to raise like one and a half million dollars for you guys. And we're very thankful they already did a great job. Uh, we see we received uh, um, a lot of um, donations from them. And right now they're collecting it in Switzerland. And most of the groups, they always tell us, the moment you will have a license, we will start forwarding you uh, the funds. Now, miraculously, We got an email today, Johnny and me, of our architect and of our building engineer that we have received a building permit with some conditions. We have been waiting for that over a year and eight months. And we have been working on very hard making changes on the project and uh, fixing those issues uh, that it will be fit to the law, uh, fit according to the law and what the authorities request from us. It seems that we will have this permit if we have uh, after we have done a few changes but now uh, the special thing is it is fixed they have said what they want and what we have to change and that is not much so we have good news we have a permit very soon on hand promised by the municipality and by the uh, committee of uh, building so we go forward it is very good and uh, you know thank the
0: so that uh sounds that the, like the father really gave you favor with the authorities
2: because you said that it was a, a much more favorable
0: outcome than you maybe
2: anticipated wasn't it Yes that's right our heavenly father is so good because we were expecting a few neighbors maybe to complain building and so we had one neighbor we prayed for him we love them all we share our testimony with them and on the other side they love us the one that the only one among maybe 50 or 55 neighbors that complained, his, his uh, that obstacle was taken away because there was no real reason to complain to make that extension to the home. So thank the father also for that. And yes, well, the other thing is, in Israel, there's a lot of bureaucracy. If you go to the municipality and ask for something, they don't work parallel to each other. Let's say the office that's responsible for the water systems, or the office that's responsible for the traffic, for energy and, and uh, environment. One goes after the other one. So if one takes three months, altogether it will take a year, two years, and you never know where it will end. We have been promised that mid-summer we will have a committee meeting, but uh, suddenly they, they put us earlier in line, and we had it now just in May, and the result is already there. So that's really a miracle for us.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Or as they say in Hebrew, Yofi. Um, what in the home itself, what are the different positions that you have in the home? Uh, talk about that a little bit, and then also get into talking about that you do have volunteers there as well. If you're talking about
2: positions, you mean what kind of jobs? Or yeah, the
0: personnel, like doctors, the nurses, personnel. et cetera.
2: Okay, we have a manager who is a, a appointed by a board, a board of members in uh They have their meetings once in a while. There is also uh, supervisors, professional supervisors to that board, if it's on the medical side, if it's on the legal side or financial side. These are all voluntary basis. No one is paid for that, except, of course, of an accountant in a lawyer or a notary. Uh, We have people on the payroll, the manager, the head nurse, the physician, a doctor. We have a head nurse, we have nurses, we have nurse aide. Uh, male and female we have a kitchen chef we have kitchen help dining room laundry maintenance we have a home mother she's in charge of uh, all all the laundry the cleaning the food and every event that goes on in the home well you have me as a project and uh, uh, manager in this uh, maintenance manager uh, sometimes we split kind of offices, but uh, we are small scale non-profit organizations, so we have to do what we can. We have, uh, of course, safety at work, which I'm responsible for. We have brothers that are volunteering to come to open the day with the residents, like elderly of, elder uh, of congregations. They pray, they read. At 7.30 in the morning, they come and uh, have a prayer meeting. Bible study we have a physiotherapist uh, also in our payroll he is coming twice a week we have um, crafts and uh, occupational therapy we have volunteers and the volunteers are a very great part of of us we're very thankful for them they usually come at least six months as required because the people get used to them we have a visa for them uh, from the Ministry of Interior so it's all prepared and they have housing. Most of them enjoy it very much so they extend their stay for a year or even stay two years. They help on all places at the home with everything that's needed.
0: And how many uh, volunteers do you have in any particular given time?
2: Usually we have around six or seven volunteers that are living on the property of the home and they come from abroad. I mean I say uh, abroad all over the world. Mm -hmm. And we have those daytime volunteers. These are Israelis, they live in Israel, and they just come out of love for the people. They come to read, they take them to hospital, to the dentist, to their meetings, what they need, or if they're in a wheelchair, they take them. We have about three or four of them. And on Shabbat, we have other volunteers that are coming from different congregations and taking the people home from the home to the congregations. Okay,
0: so now the, the volunteers that are coming in from the various nations, what
2: is the typical stay amount
0: of stay that they have there
2: you mean uh, how long yes well i must say the typical stay was six months but the last three years all of them have extended to two years because they love the place they love israel and they love the residents and this is very special for us and of course these are very qualitative uh, volunteers and they have passion Uh, they give whatever they can
0: now we are blessed to actually talk to one of those volunteers that happened to be with us today, and that's Samantha Lagoy. And Samantha, could you share with us about your experience as a volunteer at Ebenezer Home?
3: Wow. <laughs> I was at um, Ebenezer for two years, and it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life to just be able to, you know, not only do poor yourself into the um, the residence, but to have the residents actually pour into you, you expect to more or less take care of them, but what I found is that they also ministered so much to us girls, whether it's pouring and teaching us about their prayer life, to encouraging us um, just so much. One of my favorite testimonies is a Holocaust survivor who came to be with us, and during my stay, she was unstable when she got to us, and within... A short while we realized that you know we needed a lot of wisdom to help her through the issues that she was having and to see all of the workers gathering together and just crying out to god and asking him for wisdom but then to see the other residents pulling together and just themselves praying and encouraging her and crying out and telling her we understand what you're going through we've been there and just really having compassion and love to her through as she you know, gained her trust in us so that we could then minister to her and take care of her. And after she became stable, I asked the head nurse if I could take her home to my flat. And I took her home and, you know, she just was really struggling with different things. And we brewed some coffee and had some ice cream and she just opened herself up and and started sharing about the questions that she had with God. Why would a loving God allow the Holocaust to take place? Why would He take her parents at such a young age? She had. She was on the Kinder train, so she not only had to leave her native country. She knew no language. She didn't know any of the people. You know, she was in a, a foreign country with her little brother, and and just the questions that she had, and how through the years, even though she was a believer, she had laid the scriptures down. She was no longer reading her Bible. She was no longer attending church, and just the the burden that she had. And so I was able to pull out my Bible and just be able to encourage her and, and we talked through some of the questions that she had. And we ended up praying together and I asked her if she would just come to church once. And one of the things that I didn't realize a lot of the Holocaust survivors had were the whole thing of not understanding, like thinking that the people around them did not want them and just feeling the constant rejection. So she didn't want to ever leave the home because she was afraid that the people outside didn't want her. She didn't even want to come at first into the dining room because she was afraid the people in the dining room didn't want her. And it went to the church as well. She didn't want to attend church because she said nobody in the church wanted her. And so after a little while of talking to her and telling her that's not true and countering it with the truth of scripture, um, I was able to get her to promise me to just attend once. And if she didn't want to go back, she didn't have to, but that she could experience the love of the congregation and the people and realize that they did want her. And so she did promise that she would go once. And so on Shabbat, I went up for her. And of course, there was I knew I was going to encounter the whole fearfulness that she had of, no, I don't think I should go. They don't want me. And eventually, I was able to bring her down. And she was so surprised to realize that not only a lot of the workers attend the same congregation, she met people that she hadn't seen in 40 years who were also at the congregation. And she said, you know, I realized that they did want me. And she was so blessed by that. And she began reading her Bible again and telling me what she was learning. And eventually, after week after week of going to the congregation, getting to the point that she asked me, she used to just sit right beside me, and she wouldn't go if I didn't go. She didn't want anybody else taking her. But eventually, getting to the point of saying, can I go with my friends, the other residents, and can I sit with them? And we realized at that point that we had gotten a breakthrough with her, and just the being able to see the joy and how she was like a rose that just totally blossomed out.
0: Recently, there was a. Uh, I want to get back to the fundraising. You had a run, and which Samantha actually participated in too. Share with about about that uh, fundraising mechanism and how how did that all go?
2: Well, yes. Uh, well, <laughs> we did something very unusual. Maybe in other countries, it's uh, common to do that. There, we had a Tel Aviv Marathon, and it's a very famous run. It's a marathon, but of course we know runners. Some of the people that know the home are very sports people, so they run half the marathon or like uh, eight miles or something like that. So we built up a whole group. Um, Samantha was a lot behind it because I had not much time, and she put a whole list of people participating in that race. Now, we did not plan to win the race. We had no chance because they're really professionals. But the whole point is we brought up awareness and we did this in love for the residents. We did make t-shirts and I went to some uh, suppliers of the home that uh, we buy materials and we buy food there. And I asked him, uh, do you want your logo on our race t-shirt? And they said, yes, of course and said, so how much are you going to contribute to the race for us, for race, for the fundraising? And, you know, amazingly, people got into it and they just joined and, and they started donating. We went on YouTube, we went uh, to our private or everyone that was participating, uh, to his Facebook, to emails. We were writing each other and saying, uh, well, we are racing and running. Who is going to support us? Are you going to spread the word? Now, it was very interesting because in a very short time, we get hundreds of hits on our website and we get people donating. We still have people after the race. How long is it after the race now? Like half a year after after the race almost. Mm -hmm. People are still donating because of that because it brought up awareness all over the world. And in general, saying the amount of money was not that high. It covered our expenses. We did bring up maybe maybe $25,000, maybe $30,000. But that's not the point. Now people are aware of our need and they're spending the world. And this is one of the opportunities that we used. Maybe there are others to come.
0: Blessings. Uh, Now, Samantha, could you share from somebody who participated in the race, share from your standpoint what happened there?
3: It was a lot of fun being able to um be a part of it and to just see the excitement built up especially as we were going different people had sent in different encouragements for those that were running um to you know run strong and a lot of you know the those that were running were just encouraging each other you know give it your best and just it was just a lot of fun we all really really enjoyed it and for us yes it was a lot of sweat um a lot of work but it was just such a joy and To realize that we were doing it not only to the lord but also for the residents and the joy that we had in doing that
2: well i could see something very interesting Uh, suddenly i see our physician the doctor coming at four o'clock in the morning with her husband Uh, they were participating our bus of 50 people left the home at four o'clock in the morning to get to tel aviv and not get stuck in the traffic jams everyone was joining in if it was the children of some workers if it was people from around even from our neighborhood People joined in and the volunteers of Ebenezer got the day off, especially for that. I mean, it was very joyful and very special. And I'm looking forward for more events. If it's it's a race or if it's any other thing that we can do for the fundraising, I always say, if someone knows a congregation that wants to know about the home, call me, let me know. I'll come, I'll tell, I'll share a PowerPoint presentation, bring testimonies of the people, uh, show a video or whatever you can bring up. So I also ask you, spread the word. Maybe you'll find some ideas to do some good fundraising for us. You see, we, we have no professional fundraisers. We cannot afford it. And we are uh, built up in a different way. And this is, I think, a personal testimony that I have to share. Fundraising is not my profession. I'm on a technical branch completely. But I have faith. And I think faith will never forsake. It it will... it's. It's a God-given gift. And as many people, they are now seeing our faith at the home. If it's the volunteers that are are gathered for prayer for, for this project, if it's the residents themselves that join in and pray for this project, we have faith and we know that if it's the Father's will, it will be established.
0: We're coming to the end of this interview. And are there any last words that you'd like to share with our listeners out there?
2: Thank you very much for listening, and I will just go and and call for prayer help. I know that not everyone can help us financially, but you, of course, can pray for us. And if you have faith, let your faith be strengthened in this, that you will see a project for the elderly, for those that serve the Lord once, is coming to be established, that we can build a nursing ward, and that the funds will be raised.
0: Thank you, David, and thank you, Samantha, for being with us.
1: Here now is Solomon Lopez singing Return from his album, The Hebraism Music Project, available at hebraism.org.
4: Shalom, 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 Yerushalayim. Shalom, 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 Shalom. Of you shall I Oh pray for the peace Oh you shall Shalom Shalom To return to well
5: Hello, and welcome to today's uh, Midrash portion of Reunion Roadmap. I almost got that out without stumbling over myself. <laughs> this is Barry Phillips from Virginia, an elder with B'nai Yosef, and fellow elder David Jones is joining me today from Florida. David, I trust that you're well. Shalom, brother. Doing good. Good. Glad to hear that. David, we've been in recent conversation over... An interesting verse found in Bereshit, or Genesis chapter 25, uh, which tells us the story of the dysfunctional home of Yitzhak and Rivka, or Isaac and Rebekah, depending on how you want to to name them. Uh, Generational dysfunction seems to follow our family line. Imagine that. And, And it truly is life in general, isn't it? Yeah, especially in our day and age. (laughs) (laughs) So, David, you made a point in our recent conversation about a unique uh, verb tensing found in, what is it, um, verse 28, which according to the scriptures version that I have here, it reads And Yitzhak loved Esau because he ate of his wild game, but Rivka loved Yaakov. You found something in the Hebrew text to suggest maybe that's not 100% accurate in translation. What did you find?
6: Well, you know, it's it's really interesting because uh, Genesis 25 28 starts with uh, the the word love, and it's like you know, the way the Hebrew... Uh, uh, sentences are formed, but it, it reads Vaya ehav et Esav." So, Vaya eh, ehav, "ehav" is it the imperative form of the word for love? So, imperative meaning what? Normally, imperative means there's a, like some kind of a command. That's attached to this word, uh, kind of like if you say, well, you know, let's let's go do something, or there there's uh, some type of action that's involved in this that, that's being commanded there. So when it says it's like at he loved Esau because of something. There was there was, a, there was a strings attached to that. There was there was a, an attachment to that. But then we go down and, and we read barivka um, ohevet et yaakov ohevet of course is the the feminine form of, of the word ohev but it, that's a present tense that's like present tense right now um, this is where we're at and this is on you know ongoing it's not like i will someday or i used to no it's, it's i love so literally how this would read would be and yitzhak loves esav because of something, but Rivka loves, not loved, loves Yaakov.
5: So I have learned over the years of studying things from Hebrew, and I don't have your level of expertise in verb tensing and so forth, but the rabbinical exhortation is that whenever there is an anomaly, something out of the ordinary, whether it's the size of a letter or a form of a word, a phrasing that shows up at multiple locations, that those verses, wherever they are, even though they appear to be scattered, they're actually connected. Uh, That There's a lot of ways that the Hebrew text speaks to us and basically is waving flags and flashing lights at us and saying, look here, pay attention, something is being said. Something, well, I mean, everything in the Torah, you know, all the verses in the Torah are saying something and saying something powerfully. But when they're saying it out of the ordinary, uniquely something, it's, it's as if they're saying, pay special attention, don't miss this. So, for a father to love one twin, and it stated past tense, and then for the mother to love the other twin, and it stated present tense, in the same verse, I'd say that that's flashing lights, wouldn't you?
6: Yeah, I mean, one says there's a uh, one says there's strings attached, and the other one says, uh, "Oh, just just there's no reason, or it just it just is."
5: I love to personally extend the storyline by character association okay so by association Yitzhak Isaac is a type of the Messiah he's a living sacrifice he's the the one that was laid on an altar and he points us then to the substitute sacrifice he is It's in Yitzhak that your name shall be called. The covenant was given to Yitzhak. Um, He was tied to the land, if you will. So there's a lot of things about Yitzhak that speak about Mashiach. Esau, um, the rabbinical minds go so far as to attach Esau to the Roman religious system. Uh, out of that system have come forth many daughters, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> many variations. But let's say it's the professional religious system that feigns repentance, as he did, puts on the presentation, but never really takes it to heart. So he's the reb- rebellious professional religious system. Rivka is a bride taken from exile. Exile her husband, Yitzhak, the Mashiach, she would be a picture, perhaps, then of the bride of Messiah who has been taken from exile. Well, you know what? That's, in a large part, that's us. Uh, We aspire to be included in the bride of Mashiach, and we have and are still, in many degrees, still in exile, even though we are trying to get the exile off of us and praying for the opportunity to be home with our Messiah, uh, with our bridegroom. So who is Yaakov? Well, obviously, Yaakov is the 12 tribes collectively. Uh, He has uh, the physical um, characteristic of one who struggles, who strives and seeks to overcome, who's often oppressed. He has a spiritual side that is to be developed called Israel, the covenant man. So we have a natural man who strives, struggles, is embattled. The spiritual side, likewise, is struggling and embattled, but has promised by covenant to overcome. So what does that all mean according to the verb tenses that you just described? Here's my take on it. And it's it's not by any means a declaration of doctrine. Let me say that again. I am not declaring a doctrine. Uh, this is for uh, analogy, understanding, and thought, and maybe a, hmm, that's interesting response. So we have the Mashiach, who has loved Esau, Yeshua, our Mashiach, has been compelled to love even the rebellious professional religious system and has demonstrated that love even by dying for them, calling them to repentance. you talk talking about strings attached? That love can be fully manifested if Teshuvah is involved. Rivka, the bride from exile, has an ongoing love for Yaakov. How many in the um, bride in exile have we heard say, oh, I just love the Jewish people? I I, I just, you know, my heart goes out for Israel. I love the people of Israel. Unfortunately, erroneously, we have in many counts been led to believe that the Jews, our brother Yehuda, is the totality of all that Yaakov is. But there are twelve tribes. We don't belittle Yehuda. We don't discount Yehuda. They are the major, ongoing face and representation of who Yaakov is, and have suffered greatly for it. We stand, we cheer, and we applaud them for their their endurance and perseverance. But in the exile, there are all these other tribes that are being brought forth by a work of the Ruach, and Rivka, the bride, has a love fascination with them, especially the part of them that is battling, struggling, uh, striving, fighting, can we say, encased in drama. Is that
6: legit? I I I think that's a really neat way to to make us to think about things, Barry. Because you know this whole example is before Yaakov has to leave home, if you will, before he's exiled from his home to go join himself to a bride, to go make a life for himself, and then at some point he is told that he can return, and so he's just kind of waiting for his brother's anger to obeyed so that he can return home. And there's a lot that can be read into that if we're talking uh, analogies, metaphors, anything like that, because truly uh, can we be one if we're always angry with one another, if we're always uh, uh, living upset with one another until we can learn to get along with one another and seek peace. Can we bring all Yaakov back to, uh, to to a place of restoration within the family, and return from his exile to come back home. Well, you know, it's
5: the story does not say that Yitzhak only loved Esau that he did not love Yaakov. Right. So, it, in Mashiach's love being demonstrated for Esau, that same love is demonstrated also for Yaakov. And Certainly there was a fatherly compassion for both sons. I believe Rivka loved Esau, even though she didn't trust him. Even though she knew he can't have the blessing that is about to be offered. And I have to do whatever I have to do to be sure that it doesn't fall to him. There is still in the bride of Mashiach coming out of exile a great distrust for those that are part of the professional religious system, it's not that we don't love them; we don't trust them.
6: Mm. You know, even when they even when they do reconcile, it says and uh, and they met and they saw they, he fell and he kissed him. Uh, it's alluded to that he tried to 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 bite him. Many say.
5: <laughs> I read that uh commentary about that. Yeah. He was seeking a
6: place to bite him on the neck, but failed to do so. <laughs> um, really, is 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 our love from the Father willing to bring us as brothers to a point of restoration? <sighs> that's a tough. That's a tough call, because Yeshua says, you know, if we love the Father, I mean, we will love one another.
5: Later on, it speaks of uh, Esau as being one who was profane, turned aside to uh, that which is um, not on the path. Um, it, it's, it, we love them. We don't hate them. But at the same time, we know we can't have covenant with them. At least we can't share the covenant of Messiah with them. And that is, you know, not that we don't tell them of it, but rather that we don't make them partners in it. Well, let's, you know, everybody come on in. Messiah is very, very clear on that. That, uh, there are some who are not going to enter into the kingdom, but the parental love remains mm. and the sibling love remains.
6: Well, yeah, uh, agree to that. And, uh, are we looking to love, to share that love, to help bring uh, restoration, to reconcile? Well, I hope so. But uh, in the end, we all have our choices in the family to make. Are we going to be a uh, uh, man of the field running around or, or to do our own thing? Or are we going to be ones to uh, show the heart of our Heavenly Father? Amen.
5: Well, folks, if you have questions, comments, you can reach us at Reunion reunionroadmap.com at Yosef, N-A, dot com, We would love to hear from you. And until next week, David, shalom.
6: Shalom, brother.
1: Here is Sign Forever by Miriam Houts from her album Shadows.
0: song by Miriam House, Sign Forever. We also listen to the Midrash, which is dealing with uh, interesting passage in scripture that have puzzled a lot of people. And uh, David uh, Jones made a very, very uh, astute observation regard to a particular Hebrew word. Yes,
1: the word being love, ahava, in Hebrew. David Jones is not the only one of our elders who has surprised me this week with observations on that Hebrew word. Before we get into what David and Barry brought with us, let me share something that Ed Boring shared earlier this week. Uh, He said he was explaining to someone the difference between Greek and Hebrew thinking. And one of his points for example was the word for love. Now, We know from our church upbringing, there are three Greek words for love. There is the love of God, agape. There is the brotherly love, phileo. And then there is the physical love of eros. Well, as Ed explains, there's only one Hebrew word, ahava. That's it. He said as he was explaining this, he was looking down at the Greek word, and then the Hebrew word ahava was superimposed over that Greek word agape. And the revelation is this. The Greeks had to borrow the word from Hebrew because they had no word in their language for the unconditional love, such as what our creator has given to us. So they had to borrow the concept from Hebrew, and they took the Hebrew word ahava and made it the Greek word agape. Hmm. Now, what application do you think that might have, Tefania? in what Barry Phillips and David Jones shared with us about this Hebrew word? And how it plays out in the story of Rivka or Rebecca and Isaac and their two sons.
0: Well, within the construct of how the word Ahava is used, as David Jones pointed out, it's used very differently when it's talking about Yitzhak or Isaac, the father, towards the, the son. And then uh, when we're talking about Rivka or Rebecca towards her son, Jacob or uh, Yaakov. Yeah.
1: So Rivka Ahavet Yaakov, she loved Jacob. It was an active kind of love. Yitzhak loved his son. He loved both his sons. But something, something about Esau, it's kind of a conditional thing. As, As Barry and David were drawing it out there, I'm reminded of what the prophet Ezekiel shared with us. In Ezekiel 33:11 it says this, Say unto them as I live says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways for why will ye die o house of Israel? And I am sure that with the love of this father and this mother in Isaac and Rebekah, they wanted to see both of their sons turn out well inherit the promises that they, had been, they themselves had received from their fathers, walk in the covenant with the living God. And when they made bad choices, and mind you, we know that Yaakov made his fair share of bad choices. When they made their bad choices, I'm sure it grieved the parents. But ultimately, we find out about Esau or Esav. His choices ended up with his ultimate cutting out from the covenant. How,
0: are we, how do we deal with that? That's a really uh, heavy question, even. How do we deal with these these types of things? You look at the olive tree, for instance. Uh, we, we read Romans 11, and it talks about that there will be some that will be, who were put into the olive tree will be taken back out. And we're now, within these 40 days of the re- repentance, we're now over the halfway point of that. And these are some of the things that we need to ask ourselves, these types of questions. Yeah, and That's a that's a good one for all of us to ponder where we stand within the household of faith, our, our covenant nation, Israel.
1: Truth. As we are winding down our time, I'm reminded of something else that Paul says, and I believe it was in Romans 11, about the kindness and severity of God. Mm-hmm. And we have to be mindful of both. Yes. As Miriam Hout sang, we're called to be a sign forever. We ourselves, we... Who walk out this covenant were to be assigned forever, therefore, this is a holy thing; this is a serious thing, and while our Lord God loves everyone, you know if we want to walk out of that love, we 're free to disqualify ourselves if we so choose. That ought to be scary. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of this program. So thank you all for listening to us on behalf of Stefania Pappas, Barry Phillips, David Jones. This is Al McCarn saying thank you for listening and join us again next week. Shavuoto.
0: Thank you for joining us on our Union Roadmap, a production of Bene Yosef, North America. Please come back next week for another visit with the people of the emerging House of Joseph here in North America.